growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. But when you hang around with Jesus, you got to believe that cool stuff is going to happen. Today, pretty much anywhere you travel, you can find food. Interstates have fast food places at almost every exit. Restaurants and convenience stores abound. But in Jesus' day, things weren't quite so convenient. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied to the full. Welcome to our series entitled, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, an in-depth study of the New Testament book of Mark. Today, we're looking at one of the most famous of Jesus' miraculous actions, feeding the 5,000. Actually, as Pastor Clay is going to explain, it was more like 10,000, which makes what Jesus did even more miraculous. 10,000 men, women, and children are about to see Jesus do something that is impossible. The people had come to a deserted place to hang out with Jesus. He was teaching them the truths about the kingdom of God and healing the sick. But as the day was growing later, the disciples urged Jesus to send the people away so they could get something to eat. But as we'll learn today, Jesus had a different idea in mind. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's important message. You know, if we lived 2,000 years ago, when Jesus, you know, physically walked this earth, what would it be like to hang out with Jesus? And uh, we're going to look today in the book of Mark in chapter 6 at, uh, at an instance where uh, his disciples, of course, they're hanging out with him all the time, but when with a large crowd got to hang out with him. But, but we're also going to kind of dive into this idea that, well, you know, okay, Physically, literally, Jesus is not bodily here on earth at this time. But that doesn't mean we can't hang out with him. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. Uh, We're beginning this morning in verse 33. Thank you so much again for being here. I appreciate it very much. And as I I love to say often, uh, you honor the Lord with your presence. Mark chapter 6. The text is up on the screen. We always try and have it up there. Uh, But also, uh, hopefully your Bibles are open and and you're ready to dive in. The people saw them going. So Jesus and disciples are leaving from where they are, where they have been ministering. And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So Jesus and disciples, they head out across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. The people see them leaving. People recognize, hey, that's the Jesus boat. Let's, and, and, you know, they're offshore. We can't get in the boat, but we, could, we can go meet the boat. And so they take off running. Verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go, look. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food 
broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. This is arguably one of the greatest uh, and well-known miracles that Jesus performed uh, during his earthly ministry. Almost everybody knows what's sometimes referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, although, as we'll get into, there was a great many more than 5,000 people there. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for uh, how your word continues to just speak to us. Your word blesses me, Lord. I I've read this story. I, I, I have no idea how many times I've read this story in my life. In, in Mark's account and John's account and Matthew and Luke's account, uh, they all record uh, this particular miracle. And, and I've read it so many times. And yet, you always bless me with this and any other text that I read. You're always revealing some gem of truth. And that's why it's such a privilege to have your word. There, there are places in the world where having a copy of your word is illegal. There are places in the world where the church underground might share one copy of God's word between 100 people, 150 people, pass around sections here and there, and they devour it, they eat it up. I confess that sometimes we we get a little lazy about the consumption of your word here in America because our table is so full. Your word is so available to us hard copies and digital copies on the screens and on the TV and radio and a million other ways it seems that we can have it. But I thank you that we have it today. And as we're working our way through this book of Mark, exploring lots of different ideas that come up during your teaching and during your miracles, just during your life. Father, I pray that for the people that are gathered here today and the people who will listen to this message, I pray that you would accomplish your purposes. In the end, that's, that's really all that matters. I'm sure there's stuff that I want to see happen or that people of cross-culture church want to see happen. There's people that have needs in their life right now, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial. There's all kinds of needs in this room right now. And we all would love to see you work and accomplish uh, the, the meeting of those needs in a way that, that we think would be perfect. But in the end, what matters is that you do what you do. Because you are God and we are not, as we often say around here. So, uh, Father, take this time, take this teaching, take your word. Thank you that it will not return void and accomplish its purposes in my life and in the lives of every single person who will hear this message today. And we pray it in Christ's strong name. Amen. And it is a strong name. Uh, i got some, some, some ideas, some truths that I want to share uh, from 33 through 44 of Mark chapter 6. Uh, let's, let's jump right into it today and talk about some of these things and what it means to just kind of hang out with Jesus. Uh, let's start with this idea this morning. Uh, when you hang around with Jesus, you got to believe that cool stuff is going to happen. Now, I, I know, you know, when I was, I was writing out this sermon, I thought, well, that doesn't, doesn't sound very theological. It doesn't, doesn't sound, but you know, that's, I'm just telling you, Jesus is the epitome of cool, uh, I mean, in the right way. And when, when you hang around him, cool stuff happens. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it really does. I won't read 33 through 37 again because I, I just did read it. But when you hang around with Jesus, you've got to believe that cool stuff is going to happen. Now, if we backed up to where we were last week, 
the tail end of where we were last week, in verse 31 and 32, it tells us that Jesus and the disciples are busy, man. That people are coming from everywhere, and, and he's teaching, and he's performing miracles, and, he, and he's doing all this stuff. And it specifically tells us, I think it's in uh, verse uh, 32, it specifically says that, uh, that the people were coming and going so, so much that, that the disciples, Jesus and the disciples, hadn't even had time uh, to get anything to eat. So Jesus says, get in the boat, let's go to the other side, uh, let's go to a, a, a deserted place, it may, some translations may say, or, or a lonely place. It just means a place where we can get away from the crowd, where we can have some time to ourselves, where we can rest, which was needed, where we can get something to eat, which was needed. And so they get in the boat and they head off, and uh, as they're going out, the people uh, watch them go away, and, and the people are, you know, they, they want more. Isn't that a cool thing? That they want more. It wasn't enough. I, I, I am so blessed when I think about the fact that, that, that God gives us what we want and what we need. And the fact that these people want it more, I think, is an awesome thing. And, and, I, and, and so, that, so that, all right, the head out. The people say, listen, this is, this is not enough. They take off running around the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Whether they knew exactly where, did Jesus have a certain place where he's got this lonely place to go to hang out or whatever? I don't know. Whether they just followed him, it's, it's, a, it's a wide open landscape, you know, right there on the lake you can see. But they take off running. And as they take off running, they're running through villages. There's little villages right down. It's a, it's a fishing community. It's, their, it's the, how they make a living. And so they're running through apparently various villages. And as they're going through, running through, what, what's going to happen? Hey, where are you going? Going to catch a Jesus boat. And so apparently, apparently what we learn from this text and, and from uh, Matthew and Luke and John's accounts, we learn that more and more people joined in with him and started running. So that by the time Jesus makes landfall, the crowd actually was probably as much as 10,000 people were gathered there waiting for this boat to make sure. And Jesus steps out of the boat and he immediately begins to minister to them because the text specifically says that that he had compassion. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them or or for them. And then the text specifically says that he saw them, as it says, that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Listen, uh, that's that's an analogy that the Bible uses uh, fairly often. This relationship between God and, and his people, this this shepherd and sheep analogy. And it's a really good analogy because I don't know how much you know about sheep, but sheep left to themselves without, without the protection, without the guidance, without the provision of the shepherd have very little chance of survival. And I just think it's way cool that, that God would think of us in those terms, that God would think of us the way a shepherd thinks about his sheep. And so, and so, uh, Jesus starts teaching, he starts, you know, this time with the disciples. Matthew and Luke's account tell us apparently that he was also performing miracles again while he's doing, he's healing the sick. And, and this goes on and this goes on. And listen, I, I'm sure that the, that the people's heads and hearts were full, but the disciples' stomachs were empty. And so as far as they were concerned, it's time to bust this party up. I, th- I think it's interesting in the text that the disciples come to Jesus and imply that they're coming to Jesus for the good of the people. Uh, Rabbi, I, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it, it's, it's kind of late in the day and uh, really aren't any Uncle Fred's convenience stores around here. And, and so uh, 
uh, why, why don't you send the people away? Why don't you send them back into town so they can get themselves something to eat? Now, listen, I'm sure the people were hungry. I mean, they had run all the way there to meet Jesus. They had sat there under his teaching for hours. And it was late in the day. And I'm sure that they were hungry. But it's interesting to me that it doesn't seem to be the people that ask for a break. It seems to be the disciples. And, and they were hungry. And, and, that, and that's a real need. But isn't it interesting that, that, that it doesn't seem to be the people that ask for the break. It's the disciples that seem to ask for the break. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' faces when Jesus says, you give them something to eat? What do you you want us to do? You want us to to spend 200 denarii? Denarii was essentially a day's wage. A day's wage would would earn you one denarii. What, What do you want us to do? 200 denarii to buy bread to feed this crowd? It's, it's unclear whether the disciples actually had 200 denarii. We know that they had a common purse. We know that they must have had some money. Whether they had 200, I don't know. But they just say, Would, you want us to go buy 200 denarii's worth of bread to feed these people? I, I think it's in John's account that John tells us that Jesus actually uh, said to one of his disciples, to Philip, and I'm sure he's speaking to all of them, but he, 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 he's, he's, check, he's testing his disciples. And he says, uh, how are we going to buy bread? to feed this many people. And uh, I think it's in John chapter 6, verse 6, Philip responds, he, he, and that, you know, we can't do it. And then it says, this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Because Philip had said, you know, how we, can't, we can't do that. This he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. Jesus apparently was was testing the focus and the faith of his disciples. Because their focus was apparently a little too much on the physical. Not that that's not a legitimate need, but, but this was a golden opportunity. This was a golden spiritual opportunity in the lives of 10,000 people gathered there. Not only for the teaching that Jesus is doing, all right? And you know it's got to be good. But it's not only the teaching he's doing, but 10,000 Men, women, and children are about to see Jesus do something that is impossible. And they're apparently a little too focused on, Rabbi, come on, you send them home? And apparently their faith wasn't where it needed to be either. Because, hello, the one standing in their midst, even up to this point, only in Mark, we're only in chapter 6. But already in Mark chapter 6, Jesus has calmed the winds and the sea, made them obey him. He has cast out demons. He's made lame people walk. And he raised a dead girl back to life already. And, and, and when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, I'm just thinking, and I, and I know, I don't want to throw that, listen, I don't want to throw the disciples too far under the bus here because I'm not sure that our reactions would be any different. But I'm just thinking it's that when Jesus says this, somebody should have said, oh, this is about to get good. When Jesus said, you get, they should have, they, they should have known. Because when you hang out with Jesus, cool stuff happens. Somebody should have said, well, Rabbi, for, that's, for us, that's impossible, but not for you. How do you want to do this? Hang out with Jesus. You just, you just got to expect cool stuff to happen. I was thinking about this and the expectations that we have in our own life. And I, I was just thinking about my own life and it's not a story. And I just in about five minutes, I was just thinking of some different stories in my own life and, 
and I don't think any of Mark's stories that I haven't, haven't told before, but I was just thinking about different stories in my life. Uh, the last church that I pastored uh, before uh, we launched Cross Culture Church, uh, that church had a, a school, it had, had an academy. And uh, the, the principal of the academy came to me one day and said, we, we want to expand the academy. It was just elementary school. We want to, we want to move into middle school. We want to add 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And we started the process of doing that, but uh, we've run into an a obstacle, a roadblock. The DOT has told us that the traffic pattern is such that it, it will increase traffic too much, and we can't expand the academy unless uh, we put in a, a turn lane, a, a new traffic signal. It has to be a traffic study. It was all this stuff. It was, it was close to hundred grand, if I remember right, by the time all was said and done, that this was going to cost. Uh, I, forgive me, I don't remember the exact time, but I want, I know, I want to say it was in, within at least two weeks of having that meeting. I get a phone call one day uh, from a guy who is like the president of some, organiz- some corporation or whatever that's wanting to open up a charter school or a, one of those kind of, I guess like a for-profit school or I don't know how all that works. But anyway, uh, right down the street. And uh, he said, uh, Pastor Stevens, he said, uh, I'm from such and such a school. We're, we're, we're in the process of trying to open up a school. But the DOT has told us that uh, we can't open a school be, uh, until there's a turn lane and a new traffic signal. We have to have a traffic study and all this stuff. Uh, it's going to cost uh, probably close to 100 grand. I, I was just wondering, if we paid for all of that, would, would you be willing to, to give enough land for the, for the turn signal? <laughs> Rocky's like, ah! Yeah, it's just, it's just a, right? And you're like... That's cool. That's cool stuff. I was thinking about a guy. I was thinking about this guy in Kenya. This old man in Kenya. I was walking down this trail with with my interpreter guy, and we were on our way back to the main station area, and it was it was lunchtime, and and way way off in the distance, obviously not on the trail that he has been on. There was this this very elderly Kenyan man waving, waving, waving at us, and uh, and so I said to my interpreter, I said, I, I I think he wants us to go over there, and uh, I never I, my interpreter he's like he said. Uh, is I, it, is, it is almost lunchtime. I, I am thinking, no. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, no. Let's go on over there and see. And, and I never forget. Just and listen. He, this guy lived in a in a hut that you wouldn't put your dog in. I'm telling you, you wouldn't put your dog in it. But it was just, that was just, that was the only home this guy has. All he ever knew. He was really was was an elderly man. You know what the two most precious items were that he had. The graves of his wife and his son, right, right outside his hut, little mounds. The first thing he takes us to shows where his wife is buried and where his son is. The third precious item that he has is a copy of God's word. I don't remember if it was in English or in or in Swahili. It didn't matter. He he couldn't read anyway. But but somehow he knew that this book was important. And he said, and I'll never forget. He says to me, "But I I, I have no one to show me the way." And uh, you know, I said, "Well, <laughs> that sounds." That sounds like Philip and Ethiopian eunuch to me. Copy of God's word, don't understand. And we're able to see that elderly man give his life to Jesus Christ. But it's, just, it's just cool stuff. I was thinking about being in Ecuador and uh, being in this tiny little house, this tiny little room, uh, worshiping Lord God. It's this amazing worship experience. Uh, but what made it even more amazing was we were in the house of this man who was a raging alcoholic about six months before. And he'd come to faith in Jesus Christ, this guy that beat his wife every single night. And to look over there and see this guy lifting his hands and praising and tears streaming down his face. And I thought, that's cool. That's cool. Last week I was in, uh, I was in Golf Smith. And um, no comment. I was in 
Last week I was in Golfsmith and I was checking out and, and, I, and I whip out an iVite card. You know, it just takes a second. And I gave an iVite card to Chuck. I said, Chuck, I, I, don't, I don't know if you have church home or not. He said, but, but we just think God's doing neat stuff at Cross Culture Church. And we love just sharing what God's doing in people's lives and what he can do in your life. And Chuck said, well, thank you. I, I don't have a church. I said, oh, you don't have a church? I said, man, we would love to have you come. We're not trying to steal people away from Bible-believing churches if they don't believe the Bible. But we're not trying to steal people away from Bible-believing churches. But, Chuck, if you don't have a church, we'd, we'd love to have you come. I said, we meet in Leesville Road High School. He says, Leesville Road High School? He says, I live almost right across the street from Leesville Road High School. I said, no kidding. He says, yeah, as a matter of fact, my daughter goes to another uh, school, but her bus drop-off point is at Leesville Road High School. I go over there every day and pick her up. I said, Chuck, it's a sign. <laughs> Now listen, here's what I want you to understand. I, don't, I have no idea whether Chuck will ever come, whether Chuck will give his life to Jesus or not. But I'm telling you, God is setting stuff up. God is being cool. God is doing cool stuff. And when you, when you hang out with him, you, you can expect God to do cool stuff too. Listen, now, here's, here's, what, this, here's what this means. Bring this up. In Acts 17, it says, For in him we live and move and exist. That's what I mean by hanging out with Jesus. Okay? I know physically he's not here right now, right? But that's what I'm asking you. Do, do you hang out with Jesus? I know you got, you got to get to work and you got this job to do and you got to take care of the kids and you, you got to run here and you got this and you got that. But, but do you understand what I mean when I say you can hang out? You can hang with Jesus. You can live and move and exist or sometimes I say have your being in him. When you in your daily life, do you expect God to do cool stuff? I mean, do you, do you look for that in your life? That's what I'm asking you, I guess. Are you looking for that kind of stuff in your life? Because I'm telling you, if you will, if you'll look for that stuff in your life, if you'll, if you'll hang with Jesus, you'll see it happen. All right, let's go. Um, second, when you hang with Jesus, you've got to believe that all you have is all he needs. Um, it, verse 38. Let me read, uh, pick it up in verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go, look. And when they found out, they said uh, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. In other words, in the same way. They all ate and were satisfied. Some translations have uh, to the full. They were stuffed. They, they, they didn't want any more. John's uh, account of this story, John tells us that it was a little boy. Y'all know, if you're familiar, you grew up in church, you know the story. That it was a little boy who gave his lunch. It was a little boy who apparently had a sack lunch, in essence, and that he gave it to the disciples when they went looking to see among the crowd, among the sea of people, to see what might be there. One little boy has five individual little barley loaves and two fish. Now, I, I'm guessing that when that little boy gave up his lunch, he probably had no idea what was about to happen. My guess is, is that he thought he was giving it for Jesus to eat. That, that's what I'm thinking. Jesus is the one that's certainly worked the hardest. He's been doing the teaching and performing miracles, and, and, he, and he got physically tired. He was, he was a man. He was the God man, but he was still a man. He got physically hungry. I think this little boy was just honored to be able to give what he had so that this, this rabbi, this great teacher, could have something to eat. But when you give what you have, 
That, that's, that's all he needs, folks. That's all he needs to work with. And he begins to work. Man, does he begin to work. He gives out and he gives out and he gives out and the people eat and the people eat and the people eat until they are to the full. The point is, listen to me, little is much in the right hand. You understand? Little is much in the right hand. So many times I, I've heard people say, well, I, 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 I couldn't this or I, I could never do that. Little is much in the right hand. Now, can I say this? All you have is all he needs doesn't mean that, okay, well, I don't have to do any. I don't need to work at this anymore. I don't have to stretch. I don't have to grow. I don't have to learn more. Uh, uh, this is who I am. This, he can just take me as I am, and, and I don't need anything. Listen, that, that's not, okay? Understand? That's, listen, I, I dug this out of one of my Bibles this week. Let me read this to you. I've never, I don't think I've ever read it to anybody, I don't think. Um, I wrote this November the 9th, 1992 in my journal, almost 22 years ago. Last night, Sunday, November 8th at 7.55 p.m., during the invitation, I went forward, knelt at the altar, and surrendered my life to God for full-time ministry. I then made it a public decision. I hadn't really intended to go forward, but Paul's message was on answering God's call. I had to go forward. Lord, keep me yielded to your will, open to your direction, and humble always before you and men. Amen. Now. The night I did that, November the 8th, 1992, could God use me at that stage in my life? Could God accomplish purposes in and through me at that point? Absolutely, of course he could. But that didn't mean that I should just, okay, well, whatever he wants to do with me. I, I had dropped out of college after one semester when I was 18 because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so at 33 years of age, go back to college, three and a half years working on a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies. Going summers, going J turn, Christmas breaks, anytime, three and a half straight years, straight into another three and a half years working on a Master of Divinity through summer terms and, and, and Christmas breaks and all that. Seven straight years of reading and studying and testing and learning. And, and then three years later, go back and another three and a half years working on a, on a doctorate in ex, expositional preaching. Could God not use me where I was? Sure. But what, how can that possibly be an excuse to not try and become better equipped, better trained, better prepared to be used by God in his kingdom and how he wants to do? So it's not an excuse to just say, oh, well, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to do anything else. It used to kill me. I had guys, there were guys in seminary. It used to kill me that guys in seminary would say, oh, oh, I'm not taking, I'm not taking Dr. So-and-so. I, I've heard that his class is really hard. So, so it's, not, it's not an excuse, all right? You can't just say, okay, well then, no. What we're talking about is understanding that who I am, who God has called me to be, who he's gifted me to be, and what he's doing with me is something that God did. And that, that what I have, that's all he needs. Here, here's what it means to break it down for you so you can fill in some blanks if you'd like to do that. Here's what it means. Surrender of all that you have and are. You have to, ladies and gentlemen, you have to lay it all on the altar. You have to lay it all on the altar. Every bit of who you are, every gift that you possess, every moment that you have, every resource that you have, every skill that you possess, every experience that you have, every, every physical ounce that you have, every single bit of it has to be laid on the altar. I have had plenty of people 
through the years who have thought about Jesus or Christianity as something that was a part or could be a part of their life. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you know this. You look like an intelligent crowd, but let me just go ahead and say it anyway. Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins so that he could be a part of your life. This this is a non-negotiable, absolute, complete surrender is required. Look at this passage of Scripture, and uh, you probably read it before in Galatians chapter 2. Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? He's thinking, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a dead man. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. In other words, Saul doesn't even exist anymore. Saul, his name was changed to Paul. He doesn't even exist anymore as far as from his perspective. But Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let me ask you a question. Is there any part of that that sounds like a a, a part-time relationship, a a, a kind of, we'll fit him in here and there? No, it's a complete and total surrender of our lives. Listen, here's, here's a takeaway, at least on this part, for what it, it means for you. To be able to say something like this. Father God, all that I have and all that I am is yours. I present myself to you. Use what you have entrusted to me, because it's all his, for your glory. Listen to me. When you can pray that prayer and mean it in your, I mean mean it, and do it every day. Because, right, it's not just a one, how many of you have made some type of commitment sometime in your life? And then... Somewhere along the way, it kind of falls. When you, can, when you can pray something like that, it doesn't have to be exactly like that. That's just my word. When you can pray something like that every day, Father God, all that I have, all that I am is yours. I present myself to you. You use what you have entrusted to me for your glory. When you can pray that every day and mean it, that's when you're going to begin to see God do some really cool stuff. And that's when you'll discover that, that all you have is all he needs to accomplish. So here's my little, here's my little ditty for you on that part. Anything less than a complete surrender is nothing more than a complete pretender. Now, listen, I know, I understand that, uh, that learning how to surrender, letting, learning how to let go of things, that can be a process, okay? Learning how to, uh, to, to give up my time or, or, or realize that this isn't really that. I understand that there, there can be a process in, in accomplishing this. But there has to be, it needs to begin with this understanding that anything less than a complete surrender is nothing more than a complete pretender. That this, this it's, it's either all or nothing. And I know I don't get it right all the time. I know I fail at it. I know, you know, we have those ideas. But still, this is my goal, God. I want, I want to be completely surrendered to you. And listen to me. If you think that you can partly surrender your life to God, the, the, joke, the joke's on you. I mean, you're only, you're only fooling yourself. You're only pretending fooling self. All right, here's a second application for this idea. Uh, surrender of all that you have and are and faith in all that he is and can do. How many times, how many times have I heard somebody say, well, I, 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 could, I could never do that. Oh, I, I could never have that. Oh, I could never serve overseas. Oh, I could, I could never teach. Oh, I could, I could never do this. Or I could never, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Besides complete and total surrender, what in the world do you think you have to do with this? This is faith in all that he is and can do. This is about God and what he can do. Remember, the the little boy brings five little loaves and two little fish. 
And, and we could talk about surrender all. I, I guess he could have kept part of it for himself. I mean, he and his mom seemed to be the only ones that were uh, uh, thinking this is going to go on for a while. But he, but he surrenders it all, and God does this work with it. Wasn't it certainly wasn't anything the disciples did. Oh, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't even give hardly one bite to all these people here. I'm telling you, I think, I think Jesus, um, I, I, at that moment, I think Jesus just goes, and listen, we're going to see, we're not there yet, but when we get over just two more chapters, we get over to chapter 8, we're going to find a very similar circumstance occur, and we're going to find the disciples react exactly the same way that they did here. And Jesus gets on to them for it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says, what is wrong with you? What, how can you hang out with me so long? How can you see me to do the things that I do and not believe that I can do great things? If you'll just believe faith in all that he is and can do. You remember this text from Jeremiah uh, chapter 32? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Oh, I could never. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. But other than you surrendering, this really isn't about you. It's about what God does through you. Can I just say this in, in, the, in the most loving way I can? How dare you think that there's something God can't do? So, here's my little ditty for that part. What you don't have isn't nearly as important as who he is. Because that's what we do, right? Oh, I, I, I don't have uh, good speaking skills. Oh, I don't have much Bible knowledge. Oh, I'm too old to be used. Oh, I'm too young to, to be able to. Oh, I don't have enough financial resources to be able to do that. Oh, I don't. That, that, that's. That's immaterial. Where the God of the universe is concerned, you understand? That's what we're talking about here, folks. That's what we're talking about. All right, real quickly. We got, I know we got to go. Running out of time here. All right. Um, when you hang out with Jesus, here's the last one. When you hang out with Jesus, you got to believe that he's going to give you back way more than you give him. Amen is right. I'd even give the Lord a clap offering for that if I were y'all, but that's just, you know, just me. When you hang around with Jesus, you got to believe he's going to give you back way more than you give him. Verse 43, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were about 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Matthew specifically tells us besides the women and children. So that's why I say probably upwards of 7, 8, 10. Some people say as much as 12,000 people gathered there. Now, listen, Jesus is God, right? He's God in the flesh. So he could have made the leftover, or he, he, I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted. He could have had it so that it just finished off so exactly enough, just as everybody's like, whoo, am I stuffed? And, and it would have run out. Or he could have made as much leftovers as he wanted, right? He's God. I'm convinced Jesus makes it 12 full baskets so that every one of those doubting disciples will have to carry one of those baskets and look down into that basket and be reminded how little their faith is. And how great God is able to work with such a little amount. We say, oh, that's so little. That's just five little pieces of bread and two fish. Bam! <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't hear anything more about the little boy after, after this miracle. We, we don't know what happened, happened to him, right? We don't know what happened to him. And I don't, know, I don't know if he got all the leftovers, but I'll bet you that little boy went home with more than he came with. I'm telling you, could you, would you love to have been a fly on the wall in his house to, to see the look on his mom's face? I mean, we're not like this, carrying a little sack lunch. He comes back like this, carrying. That, that, that's just God. It's just God. It's just what he does. He gives you way more than you give him.
Now listen, I, 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 I want to be careful here. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you exactly how God will accomplish I'm not telling you exactly what he will do. I, I'm not telling you if, if you give $50, God will give you a Cadillac. It's, I, I'm, not, I'm not going down there. I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm just saying to you from personal experience and from the truth of God's word that he will give you back way more than you give him. Listen, can I, can I brag on y'all a minute? Can I say that? I, I want to say um, recently, towards, back towards the first of the year, uh, we did it. We asked our life groups to do this study called Take God at His Word. And it's a, a study by Dr. Craig Hood that's, that's about God's expectations for our financial resources and what we do with those financial resources and how we can, we can take God's word. We can trust and believe God. And, and listen, I, I don't know of any other area, after, after 20 years of ministry experience, I don't know of any area that uh, professing followers of Jesus struggle more than in the area of understanding their financial resources, what God expects them to do with it. And Craig Hood begins th- this little book, Take God's Word, with the understanding that you have to begin with the principle of first fruits. You have to begin by giving God back a minimum 10% of your income to him, that you have to start with it, and you can take God's word. I don't know of any other area that people uh, struggle more uh, than they do in this area. And I think Hood does a fantastic job of building a, a biblical case. And, and this, listen, this isn't truly, this is not a message on tithing. But what I want to say is, is that I, I've heard several testimonies of you that have, that have, that have said, uh, man, God really spoke to me through that study, and God, God is, you know, laying things on our heart and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and I just want to tell you, you our budget here at Cross Culture Church is $225,000 a year. That goes to paying salaries and, and rent and uh, ministry, funding ministries and, and uh, taking the gospel here, there, and everywhere. We're involved in mission work all over the, uh, all over the world. Uh, that budget allows us to do that. Uh, that. That's been the same budget for three years. The elders have kept the budget the same because we haven't met budget yet. In, in any, I don't think we've met budget any year, but the last three years it's been set on that amount. We haven't made budget, but we want it to keep it there as a goal. That breaks down to $68,750 per quarter. Uh, the first, first quarter of this year, uh, we finished 25% above budget. 25%. It's a, a little over $17,000 above budget. Now, I don't, I don't tell you that so you can say, okay, some are off. All right? I, don't, I, don't, I don't tell you that. And, and, I, and I don't tell you that. Um, to, to say, look what you've done. I, I say that to say, look what God has done. And, and to say this to you, listen to me, because I know some of you have stepped out in faith. Some of you have said, this is what God's word says. I've ignored it long enough. I've got to do this. This is what I want to say to you. God is going to give you back way more than you give him. He is. He is. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's dollar for dollar. I don't, I don't know how God, I can't, I mean, I can give you a million examples of how he's done it in our lives, but I'm just telling, oh, by the way, I meant to say this. This principle, this first fruits thing, I believed in that way before I was a pastor or even knew I was going to be a pastor. So I just want to clarify that. That God will give you back way more than you give him. It's a principle of his word. Listen to me. We've got to close. I know. I've known people that have dropped out of following and serving Jesus. I have known people who have bailed out because it was too hard. I have known people who have chickened out because it was too scary. But I have never known God to run out of resources that he needs to accomplish in and through your life everything that he desired to do. Five little pieces of bread, two fish, 10,000 people. No problem for the God who created everything that this, on this planet and this universe. When you hang out with Jesus, as I'm telling you, when you hang out with Jesus, you will see and you, you can believe that cool stuff is going to happen. 
I know we don't see it every day, and I know, I know sometimes it's kind of foggy, and we're not sure what God is up to, and we're not sure what God is doing, but I'm telling you, if you'll look around, if you'll be attentive, you'll, you'll see God do cool stuff. And you can know that if you'll just present yourself to him, if you'll, that prayer, that prayer, for instance, if you'll say, God, this is me, all that I am, all that I have, it's yours, and I give it to you, use it for your glory, then you can be assured not only is God going to give you back way more than you give him, however he chooses to bless you, but he's going to do spectacular things for his glory. Well, there you have it. What a great story that reminds us all that when you hang around with Jesus, you can expect that cool stuff is going to happen. Even though the disciples had already seen Jesus do many miraculous actions, they were still thinking from a natural perspective. They couldn't imagine how a crowd that large could be fed with so little. But as Pastor Clay reminded us today, little is much in the right hands. When we give ourselves over to the Lord, He not only is able to accomplish things in and through us, He is also fully capable of giving back much more than we give to Him. What a great lesson of the power of God and the need of His children to believe. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.